Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kivan, coming to you live from the Pesach Retreat, South Africa, in Rustenburg at Hunter's Rest Resort. And here with hundreds of guests from all over the world, celebrating the beautiful Pesach holiday together. So wherever you are, I hope you've enjoyed your festival until now and had a fabulous, beautiful, amazing Yom Tov. And today being the final day of Chalamayad, Families are out, maybe you're on your way back from a trip, from an adventure somewhere, getting ready for the final two days of the holiday. Let's discuss a little bit about the significance, the importance of these days. Because when the Torah unveils the mitzvah of Pesach, it describes this holiday and the prohibition not to eat chametz as extending for seven days. The Torah also designates the first and the seventh days as sacred holy days, which means that similar to Shabbos, it's forbidden to us, forbidden for us to engage in certain labors or activities on these days. Now, of course, we in the diaspora outside of the land of Israel, we add an additional day to each of the holidays, which makes it an eight day holiday. We have two days at the beginning. Sunday was already Cholamad in Israel. And now we add an additional day at the end. So a total of eight days, but the first two and final two days are also sacred in that way. Now, I feel like in modern times, <clears throat> the first two days of Pesach get all that attention. That's when we celebrate the Seders, and I have to say it was magnificent, it was really special here with people from all over the world celebrating together. But nevertheless, the final days of the holiday, these sacred days also are of quintessential, no pun intended there, significance. And as we'll discuss, it has a very important message, no less than, no less important than the first days. First days of Pesach, we recalled and reenacted our exodus from Egypt, that emancipation from slavery 3,334 years ago, the symptoms of it are present today as well, that we can liberate ourselves from our own personal confinement and limitations. But on the seventh day of Pesach, as we are going to read in Shul tomorrow, we recall what happened seven days after the Exodus, Kriyat Yamsuf, the splitting of the sea. Why do we read this story? Because obviously this is the anniversary of that miracle. But like we mentioned before, the symptoms that were present then are available now as well. The Jews left Egypt on the 15th of Nisan. And Pharaoh then decided to pursue them and to bring them back as slaves. He thought to himself, my goodness, I thought these guys are leaving just for three days to worship their God in the desert, in the wilderness. Where have they gone? Where's my slave labor? Where's my whole, where are all my, my task force? So to this end, Pharaoh trapped the Jews against the sea. And on the morning of the 21st of Nisan, which is tonight, the anniversary, our ancestors, as per God's command, they marched into the Yamsuf, into the sea. And as they say, the rest is history. The Jews were saved when the waters parted 
and the Egyptian army was vanquished, was drowned in those waters. And this event that we celebrate tonight completes the story of the Exodus. We rejoice on the 15th last week over the Exodus itself. But the fact is that Egypt remained a threat that could and did continue to harass the Jews. The completion of the Exodus was only realized once the Egyptian army was completely, utterly, totally destroyed at the sea. And this is why we mention the miracle every single day in our prayers, in the morning as well as in the evening after the Shema. We recall the story of our ancestors final liberation there this entire story of the exodus and we dedicate this day the seventh of pesach tonight and tomorrow to focus on this the completion of the exodus the sentiment that we focus on is not the destruction of our enemy our focus is rather on our salvation in fact the Talmud, the Gemara, and Masechet Sanhedrin, as well as the Megillah and some other places, discuss this idea. And some have argued that these passages intend to say that the praise actually was inappropriate because the Jews were in peril at that time. And they point to a number of Midrashim that support this very idea. There are many sources that explain that saying that the, the joyous praise we are praising God for saving us, not for the downfall of our enemies. And that is what we're gonna sing. The Az Yashir, which we read tomorrow, describes God as saving, thanking us, thanking God for this miracle. But the Talmud still tells us that God reprimanded the angels for singing while the Egyptians were being lost at sea because as much as we are grateful for our salvation, we're saddened that others, the Egyptians have not learned their lesson. It's an important lesson for us in life. And that's actually one of the reasons why even as we recite Hallel on this day, and in fact, since the second, since the third day of Pesach, we don't say the entire Hallel. The joy of our salvation is, somewhat tempered by the losses on the other side. Of course, I know previously somebody corrected me on this, so I'll make mention of it, that there are other reasons too. For example, the amount of sacrifices that were brought in the temple on this day were no different from the sacrifices brought on the other days. So there's no obligation to eat matzah. It's just that we can't eat chametz. Unlike the first two days, when we do say halal in commemoration of that addition. But this miracle, the story of the splitting of the sea has become a symbol for Jewish survival and perseverance. We think how many times throughout our long history, we've been trapped against various raging seas, the tumultuous waters of life, and sometimes seeming no escape route available. And yet, if we look in that story, we marched forward into the powerful waters and we came out safe, sound, and dry on the other side. In life, we face challenges, whatever they might be, whether it is 
COVID-19 still raging on, or anti-Semitism and hatred and terrorism that exists, the challenges that Israel faces, assimilation of Jews, it's not that that's over, but we refuse to retreat or surrender. We march forward just as our ancestors did on this day. And the Talmud describes that when the Jews received the order to march into the sea, each person turned to their fellow, everyone was unsure. I'm not going first. But they didn't say I'm not going at all. They were happy to go, knowing this was God's command. They just didn't want to see the need to be first. And that's when Nachshon ben Aminadav, this one individual jumped into the waters. And that's when the sea split. And Nachshon has become that icon. That individual was a symbol for the, the bold person who was willing to take initiative. Even the face of that daunting challenge, jumping into the waters, it took faith to realize that the waters will split. When we know something is right, God said so. We need to seize the moment and act. Too often people rely on others to lead and get things done. The story of the splitting of the sea reminds us to overcome this tendency. Whenever we face challenges, we have to know to take initiative, to be that Nachsham Ben Aminadav. So many times in the past two years during the pandemic and many other challenges and obstacles that I've seen people come and stand in the forefront having that Nachshon ben Aminadav attitude. That's such a pleasure to behold. So my friends, this is the symbolism that we are commemorating in these days, the final days of Pesach. The eighth day is even in a sense far greater because now we aren't just looking back, we are looking forward. And so on the eighth day of Pesach, we're going to read a fascinating Haftorah after the Torah reading from the book of Isaiah, where we read the themes of a wolf will live with a lamb and the lamb will be full of the knowledge of God as the water covers the seabed. It talks about the gathering of the Jewish people from all the corners of the earth as we are witnessing in our lifetime. The theme of the eighth day of Pesach is not the past that we've been celebrating for the first seven days, but rather the future, the future redemption. Now it's true that the Haftarah does mention a little bit about the story of the downfall of Sumcherev, which occurred on Pesach, but it did occur earlier on Pesach, not on the first, not on the final day. But it's only the first few Sukkim verses that deal with that and perhaps that's the link and the connection of the past into the present and future. Very often people think about Judaism as being stuck in the past. We commemorate events of the past. We keep the traditions that were handed down to us in our past. And while that's wonderful, you know, some people kvetch that why are we always looking back? Well, the truth is Judaism most certainly is very much forward-looking. It has a certain vision for the world and shares this vision with anyone willing to listen. And we hope that like 
Nachshan, take action. We don't just anticipate redemption. We precipitate it. We do whatever it takes to make it happen. And so as we read this Haftarah, and we think about the messages it includes, can we think of a better future, an end to anti-Semitism in this world, as the Haftarah itself describes the sheep lying with a lamb? Can we think as we see that reawakening of genuine spirituality, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God. Look at the Baal Teshuvah movement in this country. Look how many Jews have returned to our Father in heaven. Look at the return of Jews to Israel. We're forward thinking. This is Kibbutz Goliath. We hope for that secure and peaceful reign in the land. And of course, the final theme of the Haftarah, where it talks about Ephraim should not envy Yehuda, nor should Yehuda vex Ephraim, which is describing the split in the kingdom of Judah many, many years ago. You think about sincere and lasting Jewish unity, symbolized, represented by Judah and Ephraim, which they were rivals at that time. And now putting the differences aside, this is what we look forward to. The redemption from Egypt introduced the concept of redemption to the world. But the full flowering of this concept has not fully taken shape. Many problems we all know very well still plague our world. So yes, we celebrated the first days of Pesach marking the founding miracle of our people. But our story cannot end there. Our world requires a more complete and final redemption, which is what we pray for. And so, yes, we marked the first redemption on the first days of Pesach, but now on the final days of Pesach, we celebrate our destined future. We don't think of it as something as the distant future. We hope and we pray and we have the right to assume that this future is just around the corner. In fact, there's a Talmudic tradition that the month of Nisan is particularly conducive for redemption. Our sages tell us, in the month of Nisan, we experienced those miracles and we were redeemed. And indeed, we pray for redemption in this month to occur now as well. Our world has seen such drastic changes in the past few months, in the past few years. See all the things going on. Well, it's no surprise when we see change because that's the world we live in. So fast paced, some, so much going on. No doubt the world could change for the good as well in any moment. And so my friends, on the seventh day of Pesach tonight, we celebrate the conclusion of our exodus in the past. And on the eighth day, tomorrow night, we celebrate our exodus in the future. And so, my friends, that is the theme of the seventh and eighth days of Pesach. In fact, they, they fuse with each other. Seventh day, we commemorate the splitting of the sea. That featured some qualities that are certainly associated with the future redemption. Because as we said, the miracle of the Exodus only managed to free our ancestors from the geographic location of Egypt and from slavery. 
but didn't eliminate the actual threat, which is why the Egyptians were still pursuing them just a few days later. So Shvi Shal Pesach, tomorrow as we read the splitting of the sea, that brought the completion, the end of, of the threats of Egypt. And this is in miniature what the future redemption is about. It won't be a time of temporary solutions to all the world's problems. The future redemption will provide permanent healing for the world with complete and total triumph of what's good and what's sacred. So on these final two days of Pesach, my friends, let's continue to celebrate not just our redemption of the past, but let's look forward. Just as the past exodus culminated in the splitting of the sea, let's keep our eye on the future redemption that will complete the work of the past. We'll be right back after these messages. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman, and it's great to be with you here this afternoon, live from the Pesach Retreat, South Africa, where all our guests are experiencing a fabulous, beautiful Yom Tov. But wherever you will be for Yom Tov, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we get ready for another stupendous, exciting two more days of this holiday as we've been discussing. And how do we prepare? Well, certainly today, Chalamahed, go out and enjoy. But this evening, as the sun sets, women and girls will usher in the Yom Tov with lighting the candles, of course, again, tomorrow evening before Shabbos begins as well. But there's a difference on this holiday from all others. After all, it's a holiday of question asking. For all other holidays, we know that we recite two blessings when we light the candles. The first is a general blessing about the Yom Tev, which we will recite tonight. And the second is the bracha of Shechianu, where we thank God, Shechianu, the Kiyamanu, that God has given us life and sustained us, the Higianu and allowed us to reach, to arrive at this momentous occasion of this holiday. And gentlemen do so usually at Kiddush. But on Pesach, on these second days, in the second set of the holiday, we don't recite Shechianu when lighting the candles. Well, usually, what is the meaning, the concept, the idea behind this bracha? We thank God for, for allowing us to actually arrive at this new special moment, occasion in our lives. But the final days of Pesach actually don't qualify for that. And why? Well, we discussed in the previous segment of this show that we are celebrating the splitting of the sea. That was the completion and reality of what already began on the first days of the holiday. And since we already recited the bracha of Shechianu on the first two evenings of the Yom Tov, it's unnecessary to do so tonight. But we also talked about the theme of the future redemption, which we celebrate on Acharon, on the eighth day, the final day of Pesach. 
And that unfortunately, that reality is not yet, has not yet come to fruition, has not yet materialized. We have not yet arrived at the moment of redemption. So we will not be reciting Shahiyana blessing this evening. Besides for that, many people also will light, besides for their yamtiv candles, a yisker and a shamalicht, a candle this evening as we are going to recite Yisgar on Saturday on Shabbos and Shul. And so the, there is a custom that many people have of lighting an additional candle. Of course, practically speaking, we do so as well to have light for any time we need to cook or prepare food throughout Yom Tov, or for some people smoking a cigarette. We were not endorsing or promoting it here on Soul to Soul, but you need to do so when and if you are from a pre-existing flame. So perhaps one, that's one of the reasons. But another important reason why many people light a Yiskerlicht, I even had a guest asking me for a whole bunch for all the different members of his family who he would like to honor with a candle is because as King Solomon Shlomo Melech tells us in Mishlei Proverbs, Ner Hashem Nishmas Adam, the soul of man is God's candle. Now, of course, if the Torah employs this metaphor to illustrate the soul of man as a candle, no, it's not arbitrary, it's not random. A soul is called a candle because it shares certain qualities, certain properties with a candle. As you can tell, look at your candles, a flame is unique. It's one of the only things in the world that appears to naturally trying to climb upward. To us, it seems that it wants to go up, away. In fact, and Tanya explains that the flame really does want to connect to above. It's described in chapter 19 of Tanya, Eish Yesoid, Hayerech, Galgal Tachas. It's a whole concept described in Jewish mysticism. This, the candle is trying to go up to a different, more elevated place. It's just the wick that's holding it back from ascending. Mishle compares souls to a flame precisely because the soul has these very same properties just in a spiritual sense. This corporeal life that we live, this physical world, is not the soul's natural home. The natural habitat of the soul is where it was situated before it was infused into a body, before descending into this world. The soul's natural desire is for a spiritual life, a life where it can transcend the shackles of the body. You know, you look at a fire, fire has five general colors. And you know something, Jewish mysticism tells us that a soul has five levels Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, and Yechida. So of course, the soul recognizes the great importance of its earthly mission in this world that we're here for a divine purpose. And the soul certainly wants to complete that mission for which it was dispatched into the world. And the soul wants to see it successfully complete and fulfill and produce the fruit of its labor. But perhaps that's like a college student preparing for an exam. He knows it's important. 
He knows his future depends on the results of that exam. And he takes it very seriously, wants to prepare for it. But ultimately, his natural desire is not to be taking exams. I could tell you just two years ago during the lockdown of COVID, while dealing with so much necessary work for the community, I also had to write exams, taking my master's, doing assignments, dissertations and case studies. That wasn't exactly where my mind was and wanted to be doing, but that was what was necessary. And so the natural desire of the soul is to try to escape the body, to cleave to God. When a person passes on from this world, the natural desire finds complete expression. They fulfilled their mission here in this world. And so we want to recall our departed loved ones as we will on the final day, on Shabbos, final day of Pesach. The best thing to serve as a memorial, I guess, is that which most represents the current state of the deceased, and that's a flame. When the soul on high witnesses our acts of goodness and kindness and their honor, it takes tremendous pleasure seeing that we, the survivors of the departed of our departed loved ones, remember them and cherish them and do things to recall them and to perpetuate the legacy and their memory. In fact, I saw one of the commentaries explains that the word daluk ner, which means a lit candle, has the same gematria numerical value as the word hashechina. And I guess the point that he's trying to articulate is that the neshama is bound up with the shechina. So a yardside candle is perhaps serving as some kind of a nechama to the bereaved as a comfort, a solace to those left behind and reminds us that the neshama of our loved ones is experiencing its ultimate unity in Hashem. So with that in mind, as the final day of Pesach is upon us to do what it takes to think of our loved ones, our dearly departed loved ones. Because Yisker, it's a special memorial prayer that we will recite on Shabbos. We only say it four times a year. And those days are Yom Kippur, Sukkot, the last day, actually Shemini Atzeris rather, on the final day of Pesach and on the second day of Shavuos, because in Israel there is only one day. Now, traditionally, Yisker really has touched a chord in many people who've lost a parent. Even those who were perhaps marginally religious, very maybe even non-observant, many people flock to shuls on these days of the year to give honor to the departed loved ones, really eager for the opportunity to renew and to strengthen their connection with our loved ones and do what we can to bring merit for their soul, to elevate them in their celestial homes on high. So besides for lighting the Yisker candle before Yom Tov begins, we recite the Yisker prayer on, Shav- on, on Shabbos. And if one can make it to Shul, 
ideally one should do what you can to be there that we're able to really connect and perpetuate the legacies of our loved ones. Because one wonders why, in fact, somebody just sent me this question, multitasking here. Why is it that we recite Yisker at this time of the year? And to answer your question, my friend, just let's take a step back and think more generally the nature of the afterlife and our ability down here to impact that which is happening up there. And certainly just as no two individuals experience the physical world in the same way, well, our sages tell us that in the afterlife, each soul has its own place, its own experience. In fact, after Pesach, we intend to launch a new course countrywide called Journey of the Soul, where we'll discuss this in greater detail. But just in a nutshell, the idea, paradise, Gan Eden, it's not a monolithic world. It's comprised of myriads, dimensions, levels, very many different achievements or places where people attain a level on high. The soul's entry point in the afterlife is shaped by its actions in this world. The spiritual revelations it affected through the various mitzvahs, the good deeds that a person did here in this physical world, and the spiritual sensitivity that it developed while enclosed in a physical body. But once the soul enters the afterlife and begins experiencing godliness, the very experience heightens the soul's spiritual sensitivity and elevates it. So the soul is in a state of progressive elevation to higher levels and deeper experiences. So in that sense, my friends, Gan Eden, paradise is not a passive state. Might not be active in the same way as this physical world, that's true. But while the soul rises from level to level, these elevations are all based on its actions, how it behaved in this physical world. The soul is not capable of generating new elevation above. It completed its mission here. Soul's journey in the next world, perhaps you could compare to an airplane that's an autopilot. The plane rises and flies, it's going towards its destination, but none of its moves are independent. They're all pre-programmed prior to takeoff. In a similar sense, here in this world, we are pre-programming the autopilot of our soul's journey in the next world. But there is an intervention mechanism. Call it an override command. The good deeds that we do in memory of our deceased loved ones those can be credited to their account, so to speak, speak, figuratively speaking, and give the soul an independent elevation. We could give it a boost on high when you're able to do something in honor of our loved ones.
just to lighten it a bit, I'm reminded of a joke about this horrible person who never did any good deeds. And, you know, his time came and met his creator and was sent straight to purgatory. And one day was abruptly summoned to the front desk and dispatched into paradise. Three days later, as we were starting to get acclimatized, he was just then abruptly sent back to hell. So he complained to this, to his angelic handler, why did you tease me like that? And the angel responded, three days ago, your son wrote out a multi-million dollar check to charity in your soul's merit, so we gave you an elevation. The problem is, today, the check bounced. My friends, the good deeds we do here will bring tremendous merit, schus, to our souls above. And so, because the afterlife, call it Ganeiden, paradise, is the most pleasurable realm, infinitely more so than the world that we inhabit, which is filled with pain and hardship and difficulties and struggles and challenges. In the words of our sages, a single moment of bliss in the world to come is far greater than all of this world, which we will recite in Pirkei Avot that we start reading next week. But Gan Eden is not the most important realm with all of its deficiencies. Our physical world is actually even greater. Only here in this physical world is it possible for us to do a mitzvah to help someone else. And that affects both the physical and the spiritual realms and fulfills the purpose, the mission for which God put us in this world. In the next world, we no longer have the opportunity to do good deeds. We reap the reward of our mitzvahs, but we can't do them anymore. So our sages qualify their our sages tell us that a single moment of teshuva, of repentance, maizim tovim, good deeds in this world, is far greater than the world to come. So yes, it's true, the next world is fantastic, but this world is far greater. The ability to perform mitzvahs is what the soul lacks in the afterlife. And our performance of them on the behalf of our departed loved ones is so powerful the soul gains additional merit if the memory of those good deeds inspire others, influence people to change in a positive way. And this is especially, I'm talking here about children of the departed who do things for their parents. In fact, the good deeds done by the offspring, by children, don't need to be done specifically in the merit of the deceased person, so to say, to credit their account. It's the way we live. We are the walking, living monuments of our departed loved ones. And so every time we behave in an appropriate way, our ancestors who we link to in this chain of humanity, we as their descendants are continuing their legacy. The very fact of us leading our lives in a virtuous, in a proper way, brings tremendous credit and merit to them. And so my friends, each time we do that, another mitzvah, 
just like we're obligated to take care of our parents' needs in the physical world as part of the big 10 commandments, we also have to tend to their soul's needs in their afterlife. Yes, I'm not making this up. It's written in Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law. So of course, others can also bring benefit, not only children, but there you're meditated, you're, you're specifically proactively thinking of a different person. Children bring merit to their parents regardless of any premeditated thoughts. And this is what we achieve when we recite Iskar. We gather in shul on Shabbos. We recite passages to recall and memorialize our loved ones. We pledge to give tzedakah in honor of them. And we bring merit to their souls. We facilitate their elevation on high to greater levels in the hereafter. And so my friends, by giving charity, we are performing a positive physical deed in this world, something that they can no longer do. The word yisker means to remember. It's the first word of the prayer and it also represents the overall theme. And in this prayer we beseech the almighty God to favorably remember the souls of our relatives, of our friends who've passed on, and in the merit of the charity that we will give in their honor, we ask that their neshama, that their soul will experience that elevation. So on Shabbos, make your way to shul and be there, be part of this experience. The custom has been going on for millennia. And this is something that we continue to do, particularly on these days, to say Yisker. Somebody was asking why specifically these days? Well, on the last day of Pesach and the other holidays, when we read the portion in the Torah called Kol Abachar. And in this portion that we are going to read, it says, every person should bring to the temple as much as they could afford according to the blessing that Hashem your God is giving you. So as soon as we hear this verse that urges us to give tzedakah, we think of those whom we love and would also love to give tzedakah, but they can't do so because they're no longer here. And so immediately we recite the yiskar, we recall them and we do that. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman, and we're getting ready for Yom Tov, both here at the retreat as well as in your homes, wherever you'll be. We talked about what the final days of Pesach celebrate. It is the culmination of the original exodus from Egypt as we experience the splitting of the sea. But let's now focus on the future. Because as we turn to the end of Pesach, we conclude the very special celebration called Su'udas Mashiach, where it is a custom many Jews have to take out all the goodies from Pesach and to have one final meal, Ne'ilas Hachad, to farewell to the holiday, but not just looking back, but also looking forward. So we look towards a future redemption. Oftentimes people think of it in a fuzzy and vague way. One of the guests just joked to me, well, 
Chabad having Shalashudas, that's already the time of Mashiach. We have to look ahead into the times of Mashiach. Yes, it's true, we try to live in the present, and we are very used to the present. It's difficult to imagine a very different future. They say, remember the past, live the present. But my friends, now it's time to focus forward into the future. Stories told of Hasidim were once sitting at a Fabrengen with the Hasid Reb Hillel Paracher. And the wine on the table was eventually finished. So one of the guests volunteered to go down into the cellar to retrieve a new supply. When he went down, the darkness in that cellar was, was just so dark and overwhelmed him. He said, oh, it's so dark here, I can't find my way. So one of the other guys sitting around yelled back, don't worry, wait a few seconds and your eyes will get used to the darkness. My friends, we all understand. We know what he meant. But Reb Hillel saw a learning opportunity there. And he said to them, my friends, indeed, that sums up the problem. We get too used to the darkness that we become comfortable in it. According to the Jewish way of thinking, we are, so to say, living in that cellar. We can't be so comfortable with our current condition. We have to realize that there's a far greater universe we could live in. A world of goodness and kindness, a world of redemption. In the past, Jewish suffering probably made it easier for people to look forward to redemption. Thank God, today, we don't live in that same, under those same conditions. But we still see the situation in Ukraine and we see other challenges and problems the world has. COVID ain't over. There's still anti-Semitism. There's still problems. And so we don't want to live with those. Let us motivate ourselves and realize that however blessed we are, things can and must be much better. And in that way, we can make the redemption real to us. So on the final day of Pesach, when the theme is the future redemption, as we discussed the Haftorah reading, it is crucial that we bring the concept of redemption to life. And to help us with that, the Baal Shem Tov, about 250 years ago, instituted the custom of sitting down to a Mashiach meal at the end of Pesach. And that hopefully will take this abstract idea and make it more concrete, more relevant. And it's very easy. Just get out some food, get together with friends and family, and sit down and think of a greater, brighter, better future. You'll sing some songs, you'll tell some stories, perhaps read through the theme of Haftarah about the wolf living with a lamb. In fact, according to Rambam, it's only a metaphor of us, the Jewish people living in peace with the nations of the world, which in past generations tried to destroy us. We read the theme of the world will be filled with the knowledge of God. Well, knowledge of God today, even when present, is so limited. 
people fail to realize how everything is really an expression of God. Our world, in fact, the Hebrew word olam, is helam, which means concealment. This will all change when Mashiach comes. The Haftarah talks about the lost Jews. So many Jews who, even, who barely know that they're even Jewish. Assimilation has come at such a heavy price, but no Jews will be left behind. We won't give up on anyone. There were Jews who stayed behind in Egypt, that's true, but that won't happen again. The Haftarah talks about the arch enemies of Ephraim and Yehuda. After Shlomo Melech King Solomon passed away, when the Jewish kingdom split into two, Judah in the south and Ephraim in the north. And that wasn't the only rift, because as we know, ever since then, there were many faribbles in the Jewish community. We talk about a future era, when all that will be in the past. We say the famous words, Ani Mamin, as Rambam taught us, I believe with perfect faith in the coming of Mashiach. And even though we may tarry, I still wait for His coming every day. It's not only important to believe in the future redemption, it is equally vital to anticipate and await Mashiach's arrival. There's a very famous song in these words, that many people are familiar with the story of the Majitz Rebbe, who, or perhaps it was a matter of the Majitz Hasidim, who composed the, the song, Anim Amin, Anim Amin, Anim Amin. I can't sing for you after a 10 day retreat here, but the story goes that in 1942, he was put on a train to Treblinka, along with hundreds of other Jews who were being sent to the death. While he was on the train, that's when he composed this particularly haunting melody. And he began singing the song, at first very quietly to himself, and eventually his voice grew and expanded, and many more people joined along. And the whole train was singing this moving, beautiful, haunting melody together with him. And afterwards, this particular Jew, he announced that he would give half of his heavenly reward to anyone who would deliver this new melody to his teacher. I guess he was a chassid, so to his teacher, the Majid Rebbe, who then managed to escape Europe and was living in New York. And of course, all these prisoners locked in a train, what could they do? But nevertheless, two young boys, they managed to escape off the train. One of them ultimately made it to Israel, and he sent the musical notes of this tune to the Majitzu Rebbe in New York. The Rebbe was very deeply moved by the melody, and of course the story of it. And he told his followers that with this tune, they were sent to the gas chambers. And with this tune, we will march to Mashiach. We have to look forward to that era of redemption. What a difference it will make. We realize what a greater world is upon us. Even though the world might look like a jungle to us, it is in reality God's beautiful, magnificent garden.
in King Solomon describes it as Basi Ligani, Shirashirim. This is a garden, God's beautiful, magnificent garden. And so what is redemption? Nothing but waking up to the reality that God's world is a luscious garden and a perfect reflection of his desire. All the facades will be ripped away and the truest form of everything will be on display for all. We'll no longer need to try to peer beneath the misleading surfaces, superficialities of the world to see the good. We will see it as reality. I know a lot of people are afraid to fear change, especially radical change. This is probably why many people are uncomfortable with this whole notion of redemption. But most people's notion of redemption is sadly not based on the authentic Jewish tradition. The Jewish understanding of the future is a world that is completely new, novel, compared to the world that we currently inhabit. And so, the million dollar question is, how to bring it about? What can we do? And the answer, very simply, is another good deed, another mitzvah. Let's do what we can. Each one of those mitzvahs will have a ripple effect. They will just catch on. It's contagious. Just as COVID is contagious, our mitzvahs are. Mitzvahs have multiple layers of meaning. We are taught that they are what connects us with God Almighty, that they perfect our character and our personality. And so, they have this cosmic effect. A transformation of the physical world to reality where it reflects the divine core. And this is the deeper meaning of when people talk about tikkun olam, tikkun olam, to appear the whole world. When we could expose it to this reality of divinity. With that, we will fulfill our divine mission and purpose. And so, let us do what we can to anticipate, not just anticipate, precipitate that era. Do what you can. Just to quote to you something before we conclude. Maimonides tells us in Mishnah Torah and the laws of Teshuvah, we should always view ourselves and the world as an equally balanced scale. And we can tip the scale of the universe. We could tip that balance with one more deed.